0: Welcome to another edition of Rose City Politics, where we inform, debate, discuss, and yes, sometimes even mock municipal issues in Windsor and Essex County. Sound off during the show through our Twitter account at RCP
1: Windsor.
2: and welcome to another edition of Rose City Politics. We've got an exciting show for you tonight. Let's start by introducing our um, overstuffed panel. And not just because we hey, just hey, had hey. dinner. Uh, we're going to start, I'm going to start across the table with our, um, are, so is it offensive when we call you the token millennial? Oh,
1: no, it's accurate. Yeah, okay. token part is. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we bring on other millennials. That's right. You guys, the real, there's a lot of reasons far. to love me, you know. Sarah Morris. are
3: always stoned, you know. Or stoned. Welcome. Yeah.
2: Uh, and the voice you just heard was uh, was uh, dangerous, Don Merrifield, and dangerous to our insurance premiums. That's Is the right. reason he has that nickname. How
3: you doing, Don? We're starting a GoFundMe campaign to cover insurance premiums. I'm very well. Uh, always happy to be here at the Kitchen Studios at Reno's Kitchen.
2: That's the other thing. He's always good. These uh, capitalists are always good for hawking yeah. stuff. <laughs> Uh, Pat Papadias doesn't have a mic, but... Uh, I'm here. Yeah, I think she'll be interjecting. which I will. marking to do? I, um, <laughs> it's all right, I'm doing the marking for... You're all getting A's, kids. That's right, everybody gets an A. That's right. And, and, uh, and sitting sitting next to me, uh, a little worried tonight, because in striking distance, is Kieran McKenzie. How are you doing, Kieran? I'm
0: doing wonderful, thank you so much all for
2: right. asking, and happy to be here. Good stuff. Tonight, um, we have uh, two halves to the show. In the first half, we are going to talk about... Ward 8, continuing our um, critically acclaimed Ward Watch series. We will talk about uh, the, the Emmys
3: came out. Did we get a nomination for that Many any chance? Uh, no. No? <laughs>
2: um, you got to be on television. It really helps. Uh, we are going to um, break down uh, the demographics that have been provided to us by uh, Fraser Fathers. As always, Ginger Politics is the blog to look at if you want the stats without the fun. Um, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you, we'll, we'll also uh, talk about some of the issues in uh, the Ward 8, community and um, electoral prospects past and present. Okay, so let's start with the um, vital statistics for Ward 8. One of our lowest population wards, 17,821 people. In fact, that is the smallest number of people uh, residing in any ward we've covered so far, Um, and based on the fact that 9 and 10 are the next two likely to be the smallest. Um, population grew by less than 300 people from 2011 to 2016. Uh, 24% of the population is under 19, and 18.5% is over 65. So putting that in context, um, that is the largest number of under-19s of any ward by percentage. Um, total single-parent families is 1593 uh, not in absolute terms, the top, but by percentage, that is the most. So we have not only um, the highest percentage of children, but we also have the um, the highest percentage of families headed by a single parent, 83 percent of which are um, led by a woman. Unsurprisingly, um, given some of that information, this is also one of the lower income wards. Twenty six thousand six hundred eight dollars is the uh, after tax median. Um, the low income rate is almost 30%, 28.74%. Um, the percentage of the population in the lowest income decile, so that would be the population that ha- that is within the lowest 10% of Canadians by income, is 21% of the population so of Ward So put that 8.
1: in perspective with the other words that we've covered. Uh, Ward 2 is the highest at 35.8%. And then the next step is Ward 3 at 33.5. So it fits in with uh, some of the lower income neighborhoods that we've covered so far.
2: Yep, absolutely. Um, just one more stat I want to bring out yep. there, uh, and that is that um, 5.7% of um, the population use public transit to reach employment, which is not um, as high as Ward 2 and Ward 3, uh, or even Ward 4, which you'd expect. Um, But I think it is a pretty high rate, um, and it's an interesting place to maybe um, start the conversation, is let's talk about what it's like um, to use Windsor Transit as your primary means of transportation in Ward 8. Does anyone around the table have experience
3: with this? A wee bit, yeah. Your main hub over there is going to be Tecumseh Mall, right? Yeah. So, which is the most inconvenient place on the planet? Actually,
1: uh, as someone who's so I grew up on the east side uh, in Tecumseh. make that what you will, but um, that's it's a good central spot to grab transit um, because you're not waiting outside, you're not waiting in a, in a random place. Tecumseh Mall is actually pretty great to be able to to catch well unless you got to walk
3: there. I mean, true. Sure, if that's, that's true. if that's where you're ending your trip From or transfers, yeah, yeah.
1: Because
3: if you live over the Meadowbrook Way, uh, those are going to be a high. Uh, Transit Windsor users mm-hmm. uh, You're very close You're probably just going to walk to the mall Just because Depends on, you know.
0: how, on how close to the express what you are Because yeah. well, gl- there's, there's, there, there's a bus that goes down Lozon, <clears throat> right? And, oh, that, no, there and is. that'll connect to, to Forest Glide Drive
3: Yeah, no, for sure. But just like the Meadowbrook Apartments and the townhomes of that, I mean, they basically start at Tecumseh Road. They're just behind all the commercial stuff over there.
0: Yeah, and they continue all the way down. Uh,
3: No, no, they're far, yeah. yeah. But uh, that's going to be a high concentration of users. Yeah. I don't know how often the bus goes down that way. Uh, But that whole area, you got Meadowbrook over there just east of Lozon Parkway. Uh, You come back the other side, you have Roseville Gardens townhomes. Uh, There is some geared income back there. It was done by the union. So maybe you would know what that's called, but I forget what it's called.
0: I, I think that's the Charlie Brooks development. There, that's right what there. it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, actually this so whole, I did
3: know, but I, I was <laughs> <kind of laughs> yeah, don't look at me like you he looks at me like he's all offended that yeah, I would yeah. say that. Oh, but by the way, I do know, I do know yeah. actually that whole, the, the whole ward, actually I grew up on that ward. I grew up in Eastgate estates just off Jefferson from my teenage years and on there's a lot of townhome developments in that area tons uh like i said the two i mentioned uh the charlie brooks one there's townhomes over off lasoline coronation yeah there's public housing as you go towards reginald obviously Eastgate estates little river is actually in uh we were talking earlier mm-hmm. uh what do they call now little river acres but we all know it has the villages that is actually part of it because it goes up the little river and there is another townhome development over there and it an older one. They were all kind of built at the same time. They're all like '60s and '70s done. So I don't
0: want to leap too far ahead in the discussion here, but just just because you're talking about all of those developments, they all happen to be concentrated into the um, south e- or southwest part of the ward itself.
3: Most of them, yeah. Um, well, the bigger ones, yeah.
0: Are. That happens to be by far and away the lowest voter turnout mm-hmm. area of Ward Eight. Um, like it's not even close. Well, that's
3: going to, that's going to just continue our theme of, yeah. unfortunately, the people in the lower incomes don't vote as much because right. those townhomes are expensive townhomes. I mean, now they're a little bit more, but we used to sell those for $70,000 yeah. every day of the week. Uh, so yeah, it, it, I can understand where the low income numbers come from and all those people are going to be, I would assume are going to be big transit users. Uh, so they certainly need, you know, I know this. They know it needs better service out there. The service has been the same. I, I,
0: I will say this though. Okay, so the main thoroughfare obviously is Tecumseh Road uh, that 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 goes through Ward Eight. Sure, bus service is pretty good on on Tecumseh Road. The one C is is you know that's probably the well, most that's the that, main that, that bus, might, really. might be the bo- most used bus I don't know exactly if if it's not it's the second or third most used bus mm-hmm. um, so the um, you know the frequency there for the 1C is high um, but yeah you have to be living close to Tecumseh Road to make it convenient for you if you're into those subdivisions and uh, Sarah you know you mentioned uh, Tecumseh Mall being a, a hub there and it is it is the proper place for the hub just because th- that space has been built up nicely but if that's where you're going to go to get the bus from, let's say you live in the Tramby development, as a for example, yeah. you got a you got a train track in front in your way. Um, probably a lot of folks have, have figured out a way to get th- across that train track without having to go all the way to Lozon Road. But you're still kind of taking your life into your well, own hands. There, I mean,
3: it gets in terms of a six lane road eventually, yeah. right? When you get by the mall.
0: You know the the interesting thing. One <laughs> of the interesting things about that whole part of the city is that's the you know we're talking now about the the gem development site i don't want to turn this into a, a mega hospital show but that was one of the areas that was at the that was, well that was the number two mm-hmm. well in fact sorry that was the number one site selected uh just in behind just uh, it's not tecumseh mall but just to the east with the the, yeah. the, the plaza there but uh, where the old home depot was <laughs> uh that's where they were talking about putting the mega hospital until they the old factored, Brona. They, Brona. yeah the Brona, yeah mm-hmm. until they factored price into that into the equation
2: it's really interesting um to think about that when you look at, um, and I'm looking at the map of the ward, when you look at the ward and you look and you think about those statistics, um, you know, what, whatever all the other criteria and, uh, and decisions and whatever involved, um, just purely from the perspective of the kind of impact that a development like that could have on a community, it's hard to imagine um, a part of the city where it could go where it could have a more positive impact than Ward 8.
3: That's 100% true. Um, well, on the plus side, it's going to be a Lowe's now because Lowe's bought it. And they're building a Lowe's there. <laughs> I'm so sure they're going to do fine. <laughs> for all your hardware needs. Yeah, <laughs> so They'll employ a few dozen Hey, they people, got right? tools. You can just do your own surgery at home. <laughs> really?
2: <laughs> Thanks, Don. All right. Don. So uh, just talking about um, convenience to transit, um, and just to kind of finish that up, I'm looking at the map and... Uh, um, Tecumseh Road is at the, not quite the extreme north end, but it's pretty far towards the north of this ward. So um, if you live further um, towards the south, so if you live on a street like Harmony Drive or Queen Elizabeth Drive, mm-hmm. um, how are you accessing transit? So you're very far from Lozon, you're very far from Tecumseh.
3: There's one bus that goes down Rivard. Uh, okay. And actually, I didn't mention, so there actually is uh, public housing back just off uh, Queen Elizabeth to Interford, and mm-hmm. in behind those con- behind those condos. There. Well, that's
0: the whole Fountain Blue area, yeah, and there's exactly. there, there's bus service back in there. Um, it's certainly not as frequent, and if you were sort of in the deep south of the Fountain Blue development, yeah. and uh, you were trying to get to downtown, mm-hmm. that's not going to be fun. Yeah, uh, it, that, like you're you're probably you're on the bus for uh, at least an hour or two for sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, I want to
2: now turn to Don and uh, talk to you about the, because of your expertise, Mm -hmm. um, Don sells real estate, uh, because of your expertise in... um, Uh, real estate I I wanted to ask you about uh, what your thoughts are on the prospects for this ward so there's we talked a little bit before the show about the history of this ward in terms of um, you know that a lot of these developments and homes were built in the 60s and early 70s um, and we're we're seeing uh, there you know we're now seeing in the next generation um, starting Mm -hmm. to move into some of those homes so what do you think the prospects for the future of this ward are
3: uh from a housing standpoint the ward's not going to change a lot because it's built up there's not a lot of space Mm -hmm. in there uh the only place they're really seeing newer homes where you'll see the three hundred thousand dollar type houses is when they close the school which is just a whole other issue so look there's a few spots where they've closed schools down and then they've torn it down and then built you know 15 20 lots there uh the city actually owns all that property and they end up doing it uh right now uh, traditionally again we've had this discussion on a few of the wards. it's you know, kind of your working class, manufacturing type people who generally lived in those wards. A lot of us, type 40, 50 year old people, probably grew up in houses like that. Uh, now it's you know it's kind of flipping over. There's a lot. There was always traditionally a lot of quote unquote older people there. Uh, unfortunately, the older people are dying off. So it's I think from an age standpoint, it's starting to flip around because those are also now with prices going up. Uh, those are the areas where people can afford. You can still pick up something under two hundred thousand dollars over there, and the townhomes, you know, you can still pick those up for like 110, Uh So I don't, I don't think it's going to change a lot from a density standpoint. There's just nowhere else to put anything. Uh, so it's always going to be kind of your, I'm not going to say lower, but you know, just below middle class kind of houses, based off of you know, kind of where the market's going right now. Okay, so based on that, um, Uh, sorry,
0: before you you move on, because I, I, to me, the future of this ward is, um, the area I'm circling now that nobody can see is, uh, is Pole Six, which is highly industrialized. Um, that is essentially that's where the old van point was. That's the, yeah, it's an empty industrial park, is what it is right now. What no, is, it's
3: a it's a trucking place. What's his face about there? Well, I'm
0: talking like that. There's yes, there's yeah. there's a, there's so there's some there's some investment in there is what I'm saying, and there's some businesses operating, in, and there's some empty infrastructure in there as well. Sure, um, and then there's a lot of vacant land, zoned commercial industrial. Yes, um, so to me, that's what the future of this ward is. When and if the economy in Windsor and people start making investments in the uh, or people are wanting to make investments in the industrial sector
3: in Windsor, this is one of the areas where you're going to see populated pretty quickly. Do you, I would think the better use of that property would actually be converted all to residential. Well, that, that, okay, so there you go.
0: And, yeah. and now there is, by the way, so that's, that's a really good point, Don. That's an election issue right there for you know so we haven't gotten into that piece of it but for those that want to think about you know what is the future mm-hmm. of this ward and and is there potential you know is there residential growth or what is it what is the best use of the land that is available the land that's available is in that stretch of in that area that I just talked about the yeah. um, the industrial that right now that area that's zoned industrial but there's a lot of unused land that could be Re- rezoned and, and used for any number of different purposes So somebody with some vision can come in there And, and, and pay, if they can paint a picture They might have an opportunity to do something interesting there
3: The problem when you run into converting industrial land though, As much as I said it's a good idea The problem is you get into an, uh, environmental issues sure, And they tend to be very expensive uh, Land is still cheap in this part of the world So developers going to look at that I mean it's all cost right Developers are look at it and have to decide If it's worth it to actually do the conversion There's a lot of programs out there uh, for converting and getting uh, old industrial land uh, remediated, uh, so it would be nice to see. I mean, it's a great, You're right. There is back in that whole little section where the van. You have to this be... theres
0: There's <coughs> right there. So you have a nice big grocery store that's oh, right sure, there yeah. for you. So there's a lot of there's there's amenities there that mm-hmm. could be attractive for people in terms of wanting to move into that area. The
3: pro- um, the problem when you get there for commercial guys and industrial guys is you're literally three minutes away from Tecumseh, and honestly, taxes are a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Like, you can see your taxes be $30,000 less if you go three sure. aisles.
0: Well, okay, east, right? fair enough. And then perhaps the taxation issue may or may not be something that could be addressed. But not only are you just off at Tecumseh, but just thinking about from the infrastructure and the access standpoint. Um, it's all there. You're you're off. You're just off of Lozon Parkway. Yep. Which is a six-lane, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. super highway in the middle of East Windsor, right? And if they do the extension, yeah. it'll be... So yeah, a,
2: let's yeah. let's take this down the road of um, of conversion to uh, residential development. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, Don, you mentioned that it's all about cost, sure, uh, and that it's unattractive to developers to convert industrial property to residential. Well, it's hard
3: too because the city has plans, and they have you know their master plan, and they don't want to change it. There has to be a very good reason to do that. Sure. If they believe it's still saleable property, they're not going to let you do it. So, that.
2: so we we already touched on um, the uh, the mega hospital. Um, so, I just want to talk about expansion of housing in in the city of Windsor mm-hmm. um, and uh, the investment that the city is prepared to make to expand the area available for um, residential. Um, there is a massive investment that we're prepared to make in order to um, make residential viable in sandwich South, um, would, would, and I'm just interested in the thoughts of everyone around the table. Um, now when we think about what, like what that investment represents, um, is it a better and a a more proper use of community resources to, um, to rehabilitate and provide opportunities for infill in the already built up areas of the city?
3: If you're asking me, yeah, I mean, of course it is. Uh, you know, my whole, whenever, I don't want to get into the hospital issue because it always turns into a... Just, just <laughs> talk about, the. let's just talk about the infrastructure yeah. and, the, and
2: the, the investment because well, the, I agree with you. The
3: infra- infrastructure is there. I mean, your gas, your water, your sewers, X, Y, and Z is all there. You're going to have to put that all in the South, sandwich Southlands. Uh, it, actually, Lozon would be a great place for one of those, you know, we do basically low-rise commercial residential stuff where you got, you know, commercial on the main, you got three stories of apartments uh, above it, three or four stories. Those are great kind of developments for that kind of street. Uh, And Windsor needs more of those. I don't know if they're financially viable. And again, that all comes down to developers, how much the land costs, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I mean, this you're better off doing something here than doing something in the quote-unquote bean field. It's a hell of a lot cheaper.
2: What do you think, Kieran? I, I
3: I couldn't agree more. I mean, this is an uh, this isn't this is an infill opportunity. Now, with
0: all of that said, I don't under I don't know exactly how much remediation would be required to, to, to turn some of these properties or to rezone some of these properties from uh, from you know the commercial industrial uh, uh, zoning that they have right now to a full blown residential. But when you think about what already exists there, the services that are there, and um, uh, the services that are being provided there in terms of bus you know the busing services mm-hmm. um, and, and also what's built up from i mentioned the Zares grocery store that's in the, that's in the plaza right across the street from well Basically kind of the across mall, the yeah. street from Tecumseh you have Tecumseh <coughs> mall you have a Zares grocery store you have a huge big plaza you have a couple of plazas that have some uh commercial development mm-hmm. along Lausanne Parkway as well that area is built up it has the there's businesses that are operating that in 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 that part of the city they're they're profitable i'm sure they would love you know greater density
3: uh in, in the area as well it'd be a big boon for those folks well Ford's back there right yeah, yeah. Ford and the old champion spark plug. If you're 100 years old like I am, the champion spark plug. <laughs> right actually. across the street. Technically speaking, <laughs> yeah. it's a big long street, but yeah. it's right there. Yeah, it's right there too. Um,
0: no, and, and then it's also in forest. So there's there's already a lot of urban density that's built yeah. up into this area. So it would make sense if it is actually possible. I don't know if like how viable it is given the land use that's happening back in back uh, back in behind there already. Um, there are some. Uh, I don't think that there's a lot of heavy industry. It's a um, lot of small tool and die shops and stuff like that, and some and some places, places that are offering as like almost quasi storage. Uh, sure, yeah, a lot of that kind of you stuff. know, like that's what's that's what's going on back there. Well, because so, it
3: was like <laughs> we laugh about the champion spark book thing because I'm 100 years old, but the properties back there tend to be big properties. Mm-hmm. They're not just tiny little you know half acre lots. Champion was probably I don't know 40 mm-hmm. acres or whatever the case may maybe. Uh, so to to kind of assemble a bunch of tiny, uh, tiny little lots is easy. To start chopping the big ones, it gets harder. Well, the thing is, it's like right in behind, just a, just the first sort of set of blocks yeah.
0: between Essex Way and wherever the, um, wherever that side road is to get into the... Um, uh, you None know, of the,
3: them. Wo- it's, it's where we the, go fast on the, our motorcycle. The side road
0: before you get to Tecumseh, <laughs> if you're traveling northbound. Um, there's that whole... There's really nothing there in behind the plazas. There's two plazas on two blocks, right? Yeah. And you could put literally,
3: you know, I, I think you, there's enough room. You could put a few hundred ohms in there. Oh, that's a sure. pretty substantial development. So you, you, you can, but you're getting close to really industrial stuff, and that's that's a further heart, east. So. Further east you are, but
0: you're you're at least a block away from where that really starts happening.
3: Yeah. So
0: let me
2: let me play devil's advocate okay. for just a minute. Let me. Um, let me put on the hat of someone who favors the development of the Sandwich Southlands, okay. okay? So let's just, let's just that's what I'm gonna do. So um, the I think the counter argument to a lot of this stuff would be that the kind of residential that it's possible to build in this particular area of Ward 8 is not attracting the kind of residents who are purchasing homes in Windsor-Essex right now and would not be attracting um, the the kind of the the kind of taxpayer, frankly, that no. the city wants. Those those no. that would be the counter any, any
3: homes that are going to be built around there are going to be on the cheaper side, mm-hmm. uh, just because of its location. If you're spending four hundred thousand dollars, you don't want to be by a Ford engine plant or whatever the heck it is over there. It's not the engine plant, sorry. Uh, anytime you get close to commercial or industrial property, your property values go down. It's plain and simple. So what you're going to build back there, you know, if the city owns any land back there, you can build more public housing. Uh, townhomes are always an option back there. But to do like the single family homes that are, you know, your 2000 square foot ranches, not going to happen.
0: Yeah. But, you know, so now devil's advocate on the sandwich South build, how much does it impact, uh, you know, the opportunity to go upscale with the, with the development when you're living right next to the airport? Are... Literally right next to the no,
3: airport. No, I understand that. <laughs> uh, you know, the thing yeah. about our airport, is it's an issue, but it's not that busy, unfortunately. Uh, there's if you go farther east and you get into the Tecumseh town, there's a whole bunch of really big houses back there, right in mm-hmm. flight lines. Uh, I think if it became a much busier airport, it becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's as big an issue as being by an industrial or a, as
0: somebody who lives out there, who you know talks to his neighbors and talks to some folks who are living. I was I can tell you the issue is becoming more important. It's, well, sure. it's you, bubbling up a little bit, yeah. you know. And I can't. It's, I a, can't good, it's corre- a good. It's a good problem. That's totally to have, anecdotal. Probably. I can't correlate it with like any statistics from the airport in terms of how busy Look, they I'm, are. Right I'm now, the but, guy
3: on the show that just makes crap up. Yeah. You're not supposed to well, know what you're but I'm just
0: making it. All I'm telling you is I'm getting. I'm hearing a lot more complaints about uh, noise complaints connected directly to the airport. Let's just. Yep.
2: Let's just. All agree that we should build residential where we're going to disturb the fewest eagles.
3: That's right. That's, yeah. Okay. <laughs> A plug. Let's let's. Well, the fortunately, they've plug... torn down every tree in that area, so there was no <laughs> eagles back there. Uh, that is actually true.
2: Sarah Morris, would you like to give us the electoral results? Sure.
1: All right. Let's the go tight through. Race. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, 2010, we had uh, famous uh, Ernie Lamont back when he was still. Ernie Lamont and not Ernie the Bacon Man, bringing in 10% of the votes with 561 votes. Uh, Stéphane uh, Am I might say, how, how do we, how do we, how do we bastardize this properly? Baudin, Baudin? All right. Because uh-huh. I'll say it in French. Uh, he got 11% of the votes with 617 votes. And then Bill Mara brought in 78.92% of the votes, 4411 eleven. So that was 2010 uh, 2014 Heather Burton brought in 22.6% of the votes with 907 and Bill Mara brought in 77.3 with 3095 votes. Two so
3: two elections with a
2: squeaker.
1: What happened <laughs> to the other
0: point and a half bill?
2: But <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you know what you know what hold on but Slide just in. with that you, you, you
0: it, it's it, that's a it's, a it's a funny comment for sure but it's still 1400 votes. Yeah raw votes mm-hmm. that he yep. got in yep. the previous election that he didn't get in, in now was the turnout less
2: yeah well the turnout obviously was less yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. his one over. his one competitor got many
0: less votes than the two right. previous competitors combined as yeah well. they had so, 11 so, so his change.
4: supporters didn't feel there was so like that's there what else, there it, desperate need to yeah. go up.
0: just just yeah that's yeah. that's my analysis too it wasn't mm-hmm. uh, he bills got it in the bag mm-hmm. um i don't need to get off my couch tonight and uh, I got the sign out in front, or whatever it is. So basically, uh, you're
3: calling Bill slackers. What you mean? <laughs>
0: well, you know what? Like, I'm not. I'm not calling him a slacker, but you know, he didn't have to. He ran. He ran a campaign that was uh, that you know made an assessment as to whether or not he was in jeopardy or not. And I think he figured that he wasn't. I, I'm not saying that he didn't work hard to get reelected and earn the trust of the people that he was. Um, you know. trying to Mm -hmm. represent or asking asking to be their representative but he certainly didn't have to run a campaign on the level of like the mayoral campaign Mm -hmm. you ran in 2006 as a for example
4: Right, he didn't yeah. have to electioneer that way. I yeah. mean, he he ran on his own record. He ran on his name. He let his name run on the ballot, and and that was enough to carry him. It was. Um, it, it shows, you know, uh, what voters think of him. Frankly,
0: and and even you know, and, and you know, due respect to Heather Burton, and I met her on the campaign trail, and she was a very nice lady and uh, confident in her own regard. Um, but you know, the people in Ward Eight understand what they had in Bill Mara. was mm-hmm. a very, very good city councilor. Right. Excellent city yeah. councilor. <laughs> But, so what's the point?
2: You know, but but there is a point, and I want to say, um, uh, whatever uh, the you know whatever the election results were, um, it's really really important that um, voters have a choice. I think mm-hmm. it's really important sure. that the electors have a choice. Um, something that I really hate to see. Uh, in our municipal elections, it would be an acclamation of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that to me, I, I think it's really important that people have a choice. So, um, someone like Heather Burton, who chose to put her name on the ballot, uh, knew she had to know that she was facing a real uphill battle, mm-hmm. um, chose to do it. Uh, what I recall, I don't think I ever met her, but what I recall from the 2014 campaign is that she worked hard. Um, she maintained a presence she stayed positive right till the end um and and you know that that is really uh doing the work of democracy i really i really think that that's to be appreciated i do agree with all that
1: yeah so when councillor mara was on the show he said uh he was gonna have an announcement coming up so if he does run for mayor which is not confirmed uh it's my speculation but um is there someone who can rise to the occasion in Ward 8? Do we Mer- know anyone? Don
3: Merrifield, Ward 8. Yeah?
2: <laughs> You're just going to paint those threes <laughs> into
3: 8s <eight. Just laughs> change
2: those threes yeah. eights. It's going to be
1: so easy.
3: It's going to save me so much sign money.
1: <laughs> yeah, what's going to happen? That's going to be a pretty open race.
3: It's a really interesting question. Um, it's interesting uh, because there's been no steady uh, competition to build. I mean, it's always yeah. changing, right? So like it's not like when Louenza was running all the time and Ed was always going against him, then he finally won. There's nobody here who's really kind of stuck it out. Uh, you know,
0: so I don't know the answer to that question either. I don't know. But if I was looking at it, um, and I know that it, it just, in terms of trying to recall some, some of the things that have happened in Ward 8, um, the Fountain Blue Community Center issue, and we talked about this. Um, when Councillor Mara was on the show and then we kind of followed that story up to the um, uh, what I what I think was a very unfortunate moment for council when they decided to um, not proceed with the proposal to build a community center in the Fountain Blue area that um, that whole process was the result of a uh, grassroots um, neighborhood driven Mm -hmm. process Uh, so to me Uh, If there's a candidate out there, and I I don't remember the person's name, but I know that there was somebody who was sort of leading the charge with respect to um, uh, the Fountain Blue Community Center issue. And I think that that would be somebody that you would want to, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. take note of as a potential successor in Ward 8 should Councilor Mara decide either to move on or to seek a higher Mm -hmm. office.
1: Yeah, probably more well-known in Ward 8 than yeah plus side. you
0: already have like you've you 've yeah. organized amongst all of those like sort of community busybody busybodies in the in the ward
2: <laughs> vote yeah.
3: busybody twenty eight it's, <laughs>
2: it's pretty tough to imagine um that that the electorate in ward eight would be receptive to an outsider yeah. um, to someone just sort of popping into the ward uh, to run so i I would imagine that that kieran 's analysis is correct that we would see. Um, hopefully, we would see multiple community organizers uh, step forward, um, and and I think that that all all um, with all respect to Councillor Mara, this is what happens when you have a dominant uh, politician in in an area for a long time. Is that that there um, there hasn't been the the election for uh, Ward Eight Councillor has been a foregone conclusion for some time, so you don't. You don't breed that kind of competition that um, that then provides that natural succession um, when the when the time comes for for there to be a change.
4: That's not to say that there may not be, um, and it also I think uh, bodes well. I think you're right. I think the um, the trust that the voters of Ward Eight, assuming that Councillor Mara um, doesn't run again for whatever reason, and I think I mean it, it looks that way. I mean there seems to have been that sense uh, lately um that uh is he going to seek re-election or or is he going to seek election for another office but i think that um what what it basically says it seems to he he is you know reaching possibly um you know the end of this cycle of his career as a city councilor i mean he's he how long has he been doing it since anybody what's the since on the that? 30s <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, it's been a long time. They put the, his, the I mean, it says a lot. Um, yes. I mean, he he took a turn out, right, when he ran for mayor and then uh, came back and he he won the following term. That's a huge commitment to a community. I think there's a lot of trust for Councillor Mayer. That's why we're seeing those kinds of numbers that are uh, remarkable numbers in, in terms of voter um, support. So, I think that, you know, um, it would uh, certainly be something, I think that he is a, a, a politician of integrity and I think that we're probably gonna see that I, I, I would I would say that it would not be um, like uh, Councillor Mara to wait until the last minute to make a decision I know that people who have wanted him to run for mayor before have always felt that you know he hasn't come out and and made that decision but I mean the decision has always been I mean since the first time he ran against Eddie Francis no uh, it's I think it's been more of a of, uh, people's um, reception of that answer is more of the fact that they weren't happy with it rather than um, that he was unclear about it. But I think that we should see um, him making a decision rather soon. If it's if he's not going to run, I don't think he's the type of person who's going to allow um, to wait that long in order to, see, to let people know that they should be considering uh, replacing him. And I frankly, and I don't know whether he would, I think that his endorsement um, would be absolutely huge in that ward. I mean, that's the kind of, of um, weight that he carries there. And, uh, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm talking about like he may not run. I actually don't know. But, um, um, yeah, so it's kind of hard to speculate. And it's not like we want you to leave, Bill, just to be, just to be clear. Yeah. Um, but, yeah.
3: Well,
0: just, just to pick up on that point, though, and about the, the question of whether or not, uh, you know, l- letting us know sooner rather than mm-hmm. later, right? Um, so let's just go back to the dynamic of this council. Right. This whole 7-4 and Bill, uh, Councillor Mara, <laughs> being one of the four. Um, the folks who are in the 7 are are, salivating. are already thinking about 8. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right, And sure. and if there's somebody, they, they, they likely have already looked at that, who that person might be, and mm-hmm. that's already starting to happen versus who, is, you know, somebody in that universe that's more aligned with the four might already be thinking that eight's in the bag. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's no there's no backup plan. Right. Right. I think I
4: think it's and you know, it's still early and we have a provincial campaign. Nobody's really thinking municipally. But I do think, I think you're absolutely right. I think that if there's going to be a real race, and that means that if Bill Maher is not running, because that's the only way that would not be, you know, mm-hmm. that there, there would be a real race in Ward 8, then people need to know sooner rather than later. That's right. And I think you're absolutely right that um, Ward 8 will be absolutely, it'll go from being a safe seat to a known entity to a solid representative to a real fight,
0: in ward that, 8. that ward, mm. and, and going back to the data. Sorry, I know you want to jump in, but just to make this point, and we didn't get there. I didn't. I didn't get to jump in with this. Ward eight is right in the middle mm-hmm. of every demographic marker of this city, right? So if you're just trying to analyze what's the political culture of Ward eight, it's a
4: it's, little bit of everything. It's, it's a mm-hmm. bit of every. It's yeah. so
0: much of everything that it's not just a slam dunk that it's going to be a quote unquote. Progressive type of candidate that's going to win this sure. award. Bill wins it, and he is—I I would characterize him. My own characterization of him is a progressive, a progressive counselor. But somebody with a different political orientation could come in with the right campaign and the right messaging, win.
4: I guess the question will be for us, and I know you want to roll uh, roll into a break there. Um, um, and so, I guess I'll I'll leave this as sort of an intriguing question in the event that he doesn't run. And I, I think I feel terrible like we're even talking about that without knowing. Um, but then, um, does the support of Bill Mara represent really a support against the status quo of that seven uh, that sits on council? Will they remember that, or is it simply a Bill Mara vote? In other words, um, separate and apart from where he stands, Mm -hmm. in many ways on that four side, That will be sort of an interesting thing to watch.
2: Last word goes to the always insightful Pat Papadias. Mm -hmm. It's like she engineers it that way. (laughs) And we're going to go into a break right now, and we're going to come back with some fun at the lightning round.
1: Welcome to this week's Rose City Politics events calendar. Thursday, April 12th. WIF 365 presents the 2017 film the party at the capitol theater reckless eric is at third man records Cass corridor Barkley crenshaw's official movement pre-party is at the majestic from april 11th to april 15th the Freep film festival features more than 70 events downtown detroit friday april 13th festival Putin, poutine fest is at central park athletics My Neighbor, My Neighbor, Mad Ones, and Sports Fan, Play Fog. Saturday, April 14th, Windsor Small Press Book Fair is at Green Bean Cafe. Whiskers and Tails, Gala for the Windsor-Essex Humane Society, is at the St. Clair Center for the Arts. Family Soul is at the Green Bean Cafe. The next regular city council meeting is Monday, April 23rd. Check out Rose City Politics on Facebook and Twitter subscribe to premium content on patreon if you'd like your event featured here please contact us through social media
2: all right and welcome back to rose city politics thank you so much for listening around the table we have sarah morris don merrifield pat papadeus Kieran McKenzie, and myself, Doug Sartori. I am moving quickly because we
0: are doing the lightning round. Doug, you got to give me, you sorry, I hate to interrupt yeah. you, but you got to tell people where we're broadcasting out of here. We're, so, we're, we're yeah.
2: broadcasting – oh, man, Kieran. I know, I know, <laughs> broadca- I know but I'm, yeah, I'm doing that. We're broadcasting yeah. from the uh, kitchen studios at Reno's Kitchen. Okay. So and here's,
4: what's our Twitter handle? <laughs>
2: You guys at are RCP killing me Earth. at RCP Windsor. Okay. And who's on, so, who's, who's on our the board? sound engineer? Yeah, the <laughs> lovely Lauren is working the soundboard. <laughs> the the movie about her. You guys are killing me. This is me. lightning. <laughs> all right. Be fast, uh, Doug. All right. Here's how this is going to work. Yeah, we're not talking anymore now. Okay. Here's how this is going to work. All right. We are going to um, – I'm going to set up a topic as quickly as I can, um, and then I will – actually, I will set the timer. When the timer ends, after five minutes, you will hear this sound.
0: <laughs> Woohoo! your 1932 oh, okay. All out really? on okay really yes
2: so when you hear that sound it is time to move on to the next topic isn't this going to be fun okay oh, going to be awesome is <laughs> sound of your
1: youth done <laughs> all right
2: had my first date in one of those cars <laughs>
1: I bet you did.
2: All right. Topic number one. Mayor blasts Chamber of Commerce for being used by Ambassador Bridge Company. Can I say I love this story? the yeah, you uh, talk about it. So the Chamber wrote to the Public Safety Minister asking for six more customs booths to be opened, seemingly an uncontroversial topic, wanting to uh, improve the flow of commerce. Um, Mayor Drew Dilkin saw it differently, said the Windsor Essex Regional Chamber of Commerce is allowing itself to be used by the company that owns the Ambassador Bridge in an attempt to circumvent critical negotiations that must be completed before the company can build its new span. Um, Dilkins, in a letter to the public safety minister, Dilkins singled out and blasted the chamber CEO Matt Marchand for contacting the minister about opening up six additional customs booths west of Huron Church. We are going to start with Kieran McKenzie. What Point
4: you're... of order does the time start after you finish <laughs> that talking or <laughs> it's,
0: It starts before Okay well. Okay real quick then um, the, this is dripping with politics. Um, no, that We do need to improve the Flow of traffic uh, across the Ambassador Bridge is absolutely no question about it. Could there be, um, uh, or or should there be, additional resources from a human resource standpoint um, uh, put in place to improve traffic flow at the Ambassador Bridge on both sides of the border? The answer, the, the absolute definitive answer to that question is yes. Whether or not those specific booths that are in question. Uh, or that have been raised should be the booths that, that could accompli- accomplish that goal? That's, a, that's an open question. I'm, 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 I'm not going to weigh in on that topic. I'm not entirely convinced of the arguments that have been put forward by either side, but we do need more resources on the border. Pat?
4: my turn uh a little um i think that um, i don't know why uh the mayor would actually uh make an issue out of this other than i think that the mayor has uh heard the rumors the uh the worst kept rumors in the city of windsor that matt Marshand uh is thinking of running uh, against him for mayor and i'll just i don't know if that's the first time we've mentioned that on rose city politics um and so uh if that's the basis of upon which he has really actually made that decision to do that i think that's foolish because um, with all due respect to Matt Marshand, I don't know what his name recognition in the community is. And for a mayor to be throwing it out there actually just feeds um, his visibility and uh, works against the very point he's trying to make. Having said that, I actually agree with the mayor on the substantive issue. And I think that, um, and and so I say that, um, you know, so take it for what it's worth. I think the mayor is actually right on the issue. I wouldn't have made an issue out of it because nobody knows about it, but yeah.
3: I guess I'll go next. Uh, to stick to the political theme on this, I think what uh, stands out of me most is Dilkins blasts the chamber for contacting a minister. This, to me, is more about the mayor being upset someone is trying to impose on his fiefdom he has down here, and how dare you contact the minister? That's my job. I'm supposed to be running the whole show down here. Uh, in any other community, any kind of business leader, political leader, whatever the case may be, should be contacting ministers as much as they can for issues. Uh, down here, if it's not Drew and going back, even on some level, if it wasn't uh, Mayor Francis, it's it's looked up, down upon, like, how dare you? I'm supposed to be the one at the center of... It's a center of attention thing. And this is my show. I'm running it. You know, everybody plays by my rules, you know.
2: I think that's those are some excellent points um, uh, by, by everyone so far. And uh, so one thing that this this issue definitively tells me is that the mayor doesn't listen to this show. Or if he does, <laughs> he's not listening for ideas and advice. <laughs> <takes advantage>. Because, <laughs> because um, this is something that we, the, the tactics of this are very poor. Um, this is something that we have talked about and covered many times on this program. Um, when you are the elected official um, it, it, and, and you, you should not be, let alone should you not be responding And being allow yourself to be drawn into conflict by someone who may want to paint themselves as your adversary, but to actually go out and pick that fight for yourself is um, is a fairly absurd uh, tactical choice. Um, I I think it's really interesting point that Don makes um, the the uh, the concentration of power in this city in the Mm -hmm. mayor's office. Um, and the jealousy with which the, um, the last two uh, uh, people who have sat in the mayor's chair have guarded their personal authority in this community. I think um, this is really emblematic of that and, and, and the kind of impact it has. Um, good idea, bad idea. Uh, really, the whole, the whole story now is that the mayor's mad. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, this is the first time I've heard anyone talk about the substance of the issue.
4: Well, that's right, and you know, I, you know, I, you know, I'm going to say this is kind of an awkward one. I mean, Kieran's here, and and here's the thing: when you take a look at some of the jurisdictions issues, I mean, the chamber has, um, w- whether they are self-appointed or not, uh, they feel that they are stakeholders in this issue. Um, the, ah, get lost. <laughs>
0: Most, motion to override. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to have a pretty good reply to okay. that, but anyway, you know, yeah. you, well,
4: I'm talking about jurisdiction, and you know, you, you, in fear, in fear, shake, you, you will get it. But I mean, here's the reality: uh, the mayor ha- is a stakeholder as sort of the municipal leadership. But we also there are some federal issues here as well, and and of course we're all stakeholders in all of that um, as community members. Um, I, you know, sorry if I'm going to, you know, and you're going to get the last word on it. Cause I know that the buzzer is going to go after you <laughs> Kieran. finish, but you you know, here, here again, we've got chamber of commerce. We've got the mayor. Where's our federal representation on this, which is really so sort you, of, some uh, well, I'm just yeah. saying where, where would our federal representation be? Are they going to side with the mayor or the chamber?
0: So there, there was a reply to the, to, to that issue. Uh, that was, uh, a letter that was signed by all three members. Oh of my Parliament. God, a letter? Yeah. well okay, all of this was oh, correspondence right okay, yeah okay. wasn't it mm-hmm. so was it wrong for the no, wait, chamber to ri- write was it letter. wrong for the chamber to write a letter no no because that 's what we 're talking about right okay. anyway, the point being is that there was a call for increased borders or uh, resources at the border um to alleviate the traffic congestion issues. Just telling you
2: that and, that and I would just
3: like to say, I do think the mayor listens to the show, but it's only so he's trying to figure out what to write in the cease and desist orders when he's uh, <laughs> filling. <them out. laughs> That's
2: possible. All right. OK, next topic. We, OK, that, I'm going to score us a zero on that. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting 100 points for ag- political acumen, zero points for keeping to the time. OK, the next next issue. <laughs> Um, council votes to keep stretch of Banwell Road in the dark until 2019. Um, City Council voted Monday to stick with its timetable for adding streetlights to the section between Tecumseh and E.C. Row Expressway in 2019. Ward 7 Councillor Eric Kuzmerchik argued the work should be done right away. He added that speeding up the timetable would not have added any extra cost to the project. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Windsor's police chief told the meeting there have not been an inordinate number of crashes on that part of Banwell. Um, now, I was not in attendance at council, but my understanding that the um, police chief's intervention was in contradiction to the report that was delivered. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate?
0: Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And that is the meat of this whole issue for us, at least in my opinion. Um you have the chief of police that contradicted a report that was generated by his own department. Um, I'm going to put this out there. Uh, I know this to be a fact. Chief Al Fredericks was in Drew Dilkins's office on Monday. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they talked about, but it would be very, it would be very surprising to me if this issue didn't come up. And what I find incredibly surprising is that there was a report that was authored by his own department. That he got up in front of council and essentially, I'm not going to say he trashed it, because he may not have entirely trashed it, questioned significantly. Mm-hmm. There is a systemic problem with that, or there is inter- there was intervention that created a different outcome or different perspective that was brought forward in that meeting that otherwise would have been brought forward. And by the way, why was the chief speaking to the report anyways when the author of the report was there purportedly representing the police department in the first place. I'm not sure if he was added to the agenda late or not, but if he was, that would be highly suspicious to me.
3: I guess the only thing I'm going to add to that, it would be very upsetting to me if the chief of police is now playing political Ponzi schemes over there with the mayor to get a certain agenda put through. The police chief should be just focusing on policing. Uh, If he's starting to play politics and he's starting to get on board with the mayor, I think that would be very, very disappointing
2: well what would be the reason um what would be the reason why a a chief of police needs to intervene on an issue of um
0: of lighting a stretch of road
3: yeah aside from the public safety aspect of it really nothing and that's what the reports for when
0: the police had already authored a report or participated in the
3: authoring of
0: a report that to me is highly it's irregular and I, I'm personally, I'm suspicious of it. And yeah. I am going to openly suggest that the only thing in the absence of a better explanation, I think there was political meddling. Yeah. Now, with that, what would confound my analysis is, well, if you actually look at the vote, 5-5, five, five, Mayor Dilkins voted on side with the five who were in favor of the lighting. A, additional lighting. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give my, I'm going to give some more legs to my own conspiracy theory. There was an understanding that the vote was in the bag and that created the room for a five five vote, knowing that um, somebody somebody who would be running for mayor would obviously know that it'd be tough for me to vote against an issue to increase public safety in a high voter turnout area um, in the middle of a award that I need to win. In order to be able to be reelected as in the an mayor. election year. Yeah.
4: So uh, on the basis of setting the stage and um, doing the asterisks um, on on the basis of if there's any other information, we're certainly willing to explore it and open to hearing it. But based on um, um, this information this is incredibly uh, troubling incredibly troubling in our community Um, as we said there's a report um um already before council the author of the report uh, representative really of police uh, services and safety in the community known and respected for such is speaking to council setting it out and in support of lighting and suddenly we have the police chief who comes in and essentially contradicts and says eh, not so bad we don't really read it need it right now and now from what we're hearing there's a, an intervening moment where there's a meeting with the mayor so let me just add one more fact the mayor is chair of the windsor uh, uh, police services board in other words as the chair of a board the police chief is accountable to the mayor this is very problematic in a community and i'm going to go so far as to suggest we've talked about this before and you've heard me say this before this is not a unique problem of this particular board in windsor this seems to be a systemic problem on the boards that we have in windsor is that thing going to go off i will (laughs) freaking blow my mind is that jeez all right well i'll end on that point um and anything else i have to say is probably going to be directed at doug
0: (laughs)
2: <laughs> 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 this is going swimmingly. Going All right, lawsuit.
1: Pat, next topic. You're talking first. Yes. Right. Yeah, I think I mean, that's. You a... should
2: talk first, actually. Uh, okay. okay. Uh, next topic City seeking dismissal of $20 million lawsuit of student impaled by golf club shaft. Yeah, that was life changed in one step may 25th 2016 um, when the grade 8 student stopped jogging along the test track and stepped onto the grass field inside the oval she tripped over a string line being used as a guide by city workers to line a soccer field fell heads first onto the stake piercing her skull and damaging the right side of her brain um the uh the young woman and her parents Filed a $20 million lawsuit against the City of Windsor, the Greater Essex County District School Board, and the two teachers supervising at the park. Um, The City of Windsor is seeking uh, dismissal, claiming uh, the young lady's own negligence in walking onto the grass while it was being lined is to blame for her injuries in its statement of defense. Um, and uh, uh, the uh, lawyer, Jennifer Bazaire, representing the family, said it's typical. that's no surprise. Um, that is typical of what you would see at this point in a suit, and the facts will come out over time. We're going to start with Sarah Morris.
1: Actually, I want to start with Pat.
2: Okay, we're going to start right. with Pat. Yeah,
1: um, yeah so um,
4: I agree with uh, who, whoever the lawyer was that said that. I, and I know that uh, this was reported, Windsor Star was reported on a number of news outlets. I think there was a story on CBC, if not more, on this particular one. And first of all, uh, incredibly tragic circumstances. Um, also, an incredible uh, road to recovery by this young woman. I don't think there is a single uh, person in this community who um, doesn't, you know, send amazing vibes to this young woman. Let's, you know, let's talk about it from the perspective of a lawsuit. Um, it's, you know, it's unfortunate that it happened. This is what happens uh, when there are, when there's uh, damages, when there's injury. Uh, this is an incredible um, uh, tragic case. But there's going to be responsibility here. And the question is going to be who's responsible. What we're seeing in the defense is actually nothing more than what you see. This is not really suggesting that the lawyers for the city or anyone else, including the city and their insurers, believe that they are not going to be liable. This is what you see. This is our adversarial process. Take a look at it. It may not be pretty. Um, uh, There's no question in my mind uh, that this ultimately is going to show uh, there's there's going to be responsibility. the question is going to be how much et cetera. I don't think anybody should take uh, anything in a pleading uh, in a defense pleading that says we're not responsible as actually being representative of either what people think nor what's going to happen.
0: I really want to jump in there. Yeah. Um, I do take it personally uh, I think that that's a bunch of nonsense uh, I, I not not questioning your legal analysis, Pat because I'm out of my depth there clearly um, the fact that the city would stand up in any formal setting and say, we have no responsibility in the injuries that this young woman is going to have when it was your broken off golf club that basically irrevocably changed her life, um, is to me a very low moment for the city. They could have opted to do any number of things. They could have opted to not seek to seek, uh, seek to have this case dismissed and just proceeded into whatever, whatever other arguments they wanted to do. At the end of the day, they had a choice, and if that was, if the recommendation from their lawyers was, this is what always happens in these type of liability cases. Um, that's fine. That's advice from the lawyers. The city at the uh, still had the opportunity to make a decision as to whether or not they were going to proceed with those arguments and do them. Uh, 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 well, if the, if they were going to proceed with them, they were going to do them in a public way. I find it offensive. I'm dis- I'm disappointed in my community or the leadership of my community for making the argument that in a situation where they were responsible for a uh, young lady's life to be tragically altered for the uh, mm-hmm. for the rest of her living days that they that they are going to claim at any point even if it is standard procedure. That it wasn't their fault. Yeah,
4: well, I, I, you know, I don't disagree with the, the emotional side of that argument. Absolutely not. I think you need to understand that uh, it's not just the city. I think we're dealing with also the, the concept of who's actually going to fu- fundamentally pay as certainly the first portion, depending on what this ultimate amount is, and that is the insurance company. Mm -hmm. And so this is not just the city's case here uh, in terms of that defense. Now, having said that, you know, at what point uh, do you expect the city to, uh, you know, do their... fight within the context of the adversarial system when they defend a lawsuit, any lawsuit. And by the way, we could this is just one that's really high profile and very tragic. I mean imagine the number of lawsuits that the city has on every single day um, um, at any given time that we may look at and say, well how dare the city, you know, not or on the other case, how dare they not defend and whose whose judgment is that? And this is what I mean by that. Um, could they have said, you know what, Uh, we sort of accept that um, um, there were some dangers that were put in this young girl's path. Um, On the other hand, what we will fight on is the amount of the award that she should receive because we believe that she is not deserving of mm, X amount of dollars and what that should be because why. Um, um, She should have walked faster or that she, um, um, it doesn't really matter if she doesn't walk it. I mean, at what point do you expect? This is not the place in time, unfortunately, that those decisions have to be made. I understand what you're saying, but at no point from a defense perspective can you draw the line and say, well, I shouldn't say at no point in a defense perspective, but that it was a blanket standard, we deny, we will see where this goes down the road. And I and really what we should be upset with, frankly, is our adversarial system. If we're not really pleased with that's the way it works, this is sort of come, come under a microscope because we're looking at, which is more of the problem of our adversarial system when we can't actually accept some liability while denying the full extent of it or uh, the amount of it without somehow it being, um, you know, giving in or giving up or giving up something. I think that's the bigger problem. Uh, It's unfortunate that it's in the paper because that's what it looks like, but folks, uh, you know, it's what happens.
2: Oh, go ahead, Donald.
3: I guess I'm gonna go on a little different path on this. The uh, the lawsuit's gonna be at the lawsuit. They get argued the way they get argued. I'm not gonna comment on that. My question is how did this happen? Uh, There is no way in hell Any city worker was authorized, should have, or made a great idea by thinking, you know what I'll use to tie a string to is a broken-off golf club, which if anyone has ever golfed and broken a golf club, you might as well just use a ninja sword and put that up there because it's going to have the same effect if someone lands on that. Uh, I I don't know what happened to the worker who did this. I don't know why it was decided he was doing this if he was by himself. This was not following protocol, whatever happened. Somebody – the guy who did this – Whoever made that decision bears a lot of responsibility, and I hope he or she has to pay some kind of price for this because this person, whether it was out of – and I'm going to say a lot of bad stuff, and I'm sorry, but whether it was out of laziness, whether it was out of, hey, Bob, go sit in the truck. I'll just use this golf club. Whatever the case was, this girl's life is now completely going to be altered forever, herself, her family, everybody. Because someone made a stupid, stupid decision and decided, hey, I got a broken golf coat or I'll just break one and use that. Whoever this moron was who did this, I hope they don't work for the city anymore.
4: Well, I think the the person uh, obviously made a mistake, and whether they work for the city or not, Don. Frankly, the city is responsible for their staff, just like any employer is vicariously liable for the negligent actions of their employees, and they're going to ultimately pay. And I I say that. And generally speaking, you know, nobody wants to say which side a a case is going to, you know, land, and all those things. I honestly have no doubt that there is liability, and the only question is going to be how much by the end of this case. There's just just, no question about it.
0: It just really it's, it's very hard to listen to even, even understanding everything that you just said about the adversarial system and the nature of our legal system in Canada. It's very hard to listen to arguments from the city suggesting that this was this young lady's fault. And I find that highly offensive and I, I, whether or not that's just how it works, I'm
2: just going to screw that. um, Screw that.
3: Yeah.
2: So, um, we're we're out of time.
3: Really? No uh, noise. No. I noise?
2: Yeah. No, I, no, I, no. I elected to turn off the car horn for this Good call. topic. Good call, sorry. Uh, but but we, we <laughs> thanks. A, a compliment from Pat Papadias is something that you put in your wallet and keep. Okay, uh, uh, go ahead, Sarah. We do
1: have a, a mailbag. We got a um, Yeah, we got a comment from Twitter from friend of the show Sarah Sepkar. Uh, three ha- um, praising hand emojis in a row on the Banwell Road issue. Um, author of the report wasn't there, but uh, but was on the agenda that was posted online. So chief was a last minute ad At Karen okay. McKenzie. Yay. Wow. Well, there
2: you go. So, yeah. go. so what I what I take from that besides that is very interesting. Um, besides that though, is that corroboration. When yeah, when you tweet at the show, be sure to include lots of emojis yes. so that when Sarah reads it, she has to she has to transcribe <laughs> the emoji verbally. <laughs> All right. Well, I think
1: that, that, that pretty well wraps up the show. What do you guys think? Uh, yeah. I, I don't want to take over your hosting. Doobies. That's okay. We're Thanks, so to Thanks so much for coming. Thanks so much for listening. The, in. the
3: lady, It was interesting that Sarah is the one who brought up the lighting thing because, as we know, millennials generally live in the dark. So you think they'd be uh, happy if, come uh, on, one last yeah, joke. Yeah, yeah. One last dad, I, I've no, been trying to work no. that in for like half an hour. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks so much to Doug, to Kieran, to Pat, and to Don, and to all of you for listening, and to our wonderful sound engineer, Lauren Hedges. Yay. Thank you, Lauren, and thanks to the kitchen studio here at Reno's Kitchen. And thank you, Sarah.